Hello and welcome to another episode of Andy Hamilton's Video Game Podcasts. I am unsurprisingly Andy Hamilton and this is my podcast. And this week, Nick is not with me. Um, he has decided to do something else. The, um, the events in the news um, of uh, someone dying has caused a, a great deal of uh, things to be cancelled and things to be reorganised. And now he's double booked and um, he, uh, he, yeah, he's basically got other commitments. But he'll, I'm sure he'll be back in due time. And from what he was telling me, he'll probably have something to bring to show and tell next time around as well. So it's probably for the best that he's on the shelf this week. But I'm not alone. I am actually joined by a guest this week, the uh, master of the eight extremities fist, um, a man who is a disciple of all things Yu Suzuki and a street fighting man for Reason Gaming, a one Tam McGeehan, a.k.a. Wireman. How you doing, man? That was the nicest intro I think I've ever had. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) How many intros do you get? Because everyone says that, like, oh, that's the best intro I've ever had. Well, you're getting <laughs> intros every week, are you? Master of the eight extremities. First. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that, definitely. Yeah, well, I actually wanted to bring that up. <laughs> so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this, but we're going in. So I, like, occasionally on Twitter, I see these uh, posts that you do, that you've been learning a martial art called, is it Badger Chen? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a, like like the way that chi is pronounced, if it's QI, it's, it's Baji Chin. Uh, yeah, so, I thought, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was close. All right, close enough. But yeah, what, what, what the heck? What? Right. How's, what is that like? And also, like, why specifically did you go like, right, yes, this specific Chinese martial art? Yeah, let's immediately link it to video games so that people know that they've dialed into the right thing. Um, so yeah, that that for for anyone who doesn't know, that's that's a martial art that's practiced by a lot of video game characters. I think the main ones that people will know will be Akira Yuki from Virtual Fighter, uh, a little bit of Ryo Hazuki from Shenmue. Mm-hmm. And I think they're they're two of the big ones. <clears throat> but then yeah, you've got Julia Chang and and uh, Leo in uh, Tekken. Uh, and then you've got Gato in King of Fighters and, yeah. and stuff like that. So it, it is uh, a popular martial art. And uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it's all pandemic related. Everything is at the moment, isn't it? I suppose. But um, I just, yeah, when we first all locked down and nobody really knew what to do, um, I'd been traveling a lot at the time and I, I picked up Wing Chun for a, about a year and a half while I was traveling. Because that's a martial art that you can just practice in a, in a bathroom, it is it is a really compact martial art. You've seen it, man. You know they they fight at this kind of range. Right, right. That's me. <clears throat> close to chest. Sorry for people listening. Uh, but yeah, you know it's it's that is a really close range thing. And I kind of just did that loads and loads in the first year of the of lockdown and all the rest of it, <laughs> and ran out of Wing Chun. So <laughs> I went, what am I gonna do? Uh, and obviously, yeah, being obsessed with uh, with Baji Chun characters. Sorry, Yun and Yang. How could I miss them from Third Strike? Uh, a Baji Chun characters as well. Uh, so I thought, oh, well, this is in particular, this is a martial art that famously takes three years to get to be allowed to learn. <laughs> there right. is a three-year application form, effectively, <laughs> of having to master other martial arts, practice different things. The old-fashioned kind of live in that kind of kung fu dream of just standing still, holding postures for yeah, all I day ha- long. I've heard there's a lot of horse stance in a it. A lot of that, a lot yeah. of that. And you do that for, yeah, between one and three years before your Sifu will basically even let you do anything. So, again, if you're stuck indoors, it's like, well, there's no better time really than <laughs> than now. Because it is, it, it, it's a martial art that was originally for soldiers and stuff that had dedicated 40 plus years of their life to it, right? We don't get that opportunity now. You learn jujitsu in a year and a half or you, you get a black belt mm. in karate or taekwondo in, in two 
ish years, you know, and people expect that kind of turnover. This is a martial art that you don't get that. You you dedicate everything to it and you better hope you've picked a good one, you know. So <laughs> I thought this was a good time to, to kill time, really, more than anything. But it's been good. Learned a lot. <laughs> it's a little bit more interesting than me, who was just like, I'm going to buy a guitar. <laughs> oh, I did that too. Don't you worry. I, I did that as well. And they went, new hobby. I was like, yeah. <laughs> just yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, that was the worst thing is like the, the, the guitar thing was like a total waste of time with hindsight. Because I can already play bass, hmm. which means that I've essentially already scuppered my own ability to learn guitar. <laughs> because... I can play like single string, like like sort of lead guitar parts quite yeah. quickly. I can't hold a chord. No. <laughs> I, and what this means is, as as a card carrying fan of all things metal, I'll look at something, you know, I'll listen to something and be like, "Oh, it sounds sick! I want to learn how to play that." And I look at it, and it is just like really fast guitar run. I'm doing it on the camera now, just a little guitar run, <laughs> and I can kind of pick that up quite quickly. But if you put a gun on my head right now and said, like, play Wonderwall, I'm doomed. Like, that's it. I can't do it. No. I can't, can't, can't string together, like, two chords. And it's just... and But the reason why I've kind of scuppered my own learning is out of those two things, there's one of those I do want to play every time I pick up the guitar and the other one I don't. So whenever it comes to, like, actually learning, I can't apply myself because all the stuff that they're going, ah, oh, learn how to play this. There's no satisfaction that I'm getting from it. I'm like, ah, oh, it sounds rubbish. I don't care. <laughs> Whereas I could, I've sort of you know, learned to run before I can walk, which is um, rubbish. But, you know, I could you know, I could have should have done something better than my time, like standing in my toilet doing the horse stance like you've done. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just um, like to point out as well, it was less than two minutes before the first mention of Shenmue. So, uh, yes. which which I feel was inevitable on this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did. I was one. If anyone's taking bets, yeah, it was straight in there. We got it out the way early. Um, but yeah, like that, that's pretty wild. That like it, it is in almost every sort of like major game. It's like pretty much everywhere. I mean, like they're all they're all like lead characters as well. It's like the yeah. protagonist martial art. <laughs> It, yeah, it, it, it's happened for a couple of reasons, but the the one thing is that a lot of video game character designers in the 90s were reading the same manga in, from right. the 80s and 90s, which was this manga called Kenji. And it's uh, I, I did a long Twitter thread about this a while ago, but once you've read that manga, your whole life is a lie. Like Everything that you currently <laughs> like at some way dates back to the fact that someone did this in there and the writers thought it was cool and they've copied off it to the really? point that it, especially for Shemu fans, Yu Suzuki fans, be very, very mm. careful. I've suggested it to people and they've went, I don't want to read that because that will completely shatter what I think of Shemu. Like they're that terrified to Does read it. Have it have the ending in it? <laughs> it, have, <laughs> it has an ending, which is more yeah. than Shemu. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, I, I, I don't think it's that they've necessarily ripped off things from that, but it's the person who wrote that, uh, Rishi Matsuda, is so enamored by martial arts and everything and was a martial artist himself that I think the people who read it are so heavily inspired that they want to have that feeling as well. Mm. So it is the main character designers from Tekken, main character designers from Virtual Fighter and things like that. They all went, I, I want exactly how he feels about that, but about my characters and my games. Right. Uh, and yeah, the more you read into it, you go, oh, this is this guy from Tekken. This is that guy from like exactly this guy oh, right. and, and and this <laughs> story arc and things like that. There's so many parts of it that, yeah, have just been taken. But uh, yeah, it, 
it's uh it's fascinating i've got to say but yeah every character in virtual fighter basically has a, a kenji counterpart i would say really all right yeah. cool yeah that's pretty good i was actually playing shenmue last night because i did a, it's 23 years of the dreamcast being released in north america yesterday yes. at the time of this recording so i did a dreamcast only stream last night and i basically just cherry picked like the hits and just talked about like my experiences with them and kind of where they sat in the whole Dreamcast thing. So it was obviously a bit of Sonic Adventure was in there, oh, uh, cool. Crazy Taxi. It's kind of, Sonic Adventure one was kind of weird because I'll carry on with Shemu in a minute. That You spend a lot of time kind of like going, look, I know, right? I know. But <laughs> if you were there at the time, you'd look at this a little bit differently. And I've always sort of said that like Shemu kind of sums up the Dreamcast really well. Like it's the perfect game for the console in that it's like really futuristic and forward thinking, but it was for a future that was completely impractical and was never going to happen. So yeah. no wonder it was destined for failure. And um, yeah, it's just, a, it's it's playing it last night. And there was obviously people in the stream who were, um, you know, they obviously either hadn't played it or like, you know, weren't around when it came out and you sort of find yourself going, I don't think you'll ever truly be able to convey to people what it was like when you first walked into the town in that game, because we've got open world games now that are like yeah. exponentially bigger, even though for, you know, for what it's worth, I don't think they do anything near as good as what Shenmue did in terms of creating a sense of place. But um, it, it, it did, it, it felt like immediately like this is the, the this is it. This is as good as it gets. Like this yeah. is the absolute future. It feels like there was no, there was nothing else that felt like it could even come close to it. And even all the really tedious stuff, like going into a shop, picking up a bag of crisps, and like looking at it, <laughs> it was, you were just like, "Well, no, this is this is the future. Every game is going to let me pick up a bag of crisps and look at it. Surely, within five years of this." And um, and another thing as well, just slightly going off topic, is obviously everyone remembers like sailors. You know, and oh my God, there's that really boring part where you literally have to do a job on a forklift. And there's like these memes that exist about it. And that those have sort of like, they sort of dictate most people's opinions on it. Uh, And that kind of fucks me off that it's like, no, anyone who says, oh, there's this boring part where you have to do like forklift driving instantly. I'm like, oh, have you played it? Because I don't think you have. (laughs) So there was a lot of that. You've got to understand that as well. Like you, you've covered a little bit of it there, really. Like you had to be there, but like also mm. those bits aren't boring when you understand what those games are about, which is about going through everything and, and doing everything. Like at mm. the time, it was definitely right because in the nineties, gaming we were we were moving towards simulacrum. We were, how close to real can we get? Mm. So if to have something like that was actually to go, it's possible. We can't have it. Now we've got there. We don't really want it. We want we want <laughs> ridiculous. We do want kind of stuff that makes no sense whatsoever. But like, yeah, that was something achieving something that we thought we wanted at the time. Um, I still think there's parts of that that haven't ever been captured as well. Oh yeah, that's what that's what I was saying. Is like there's there's a, the first time you kind of come down like either the stairs into Dubrita uh, Street past the car park or um, in through the other side the other side of town and walk in that it's it's you know it's a combination of many things you know some of it the music some of it massive rose tinted glasses and so on and so forth but like when you just hit like walk mode and just kind of go down that street and just allow the the town to kind of pass you by there there are like games that 
came out in 2022. I was going to say with exponentially bigger budgets, but that might not actually be the case when you factor in Shenmue's disastrously expensive production values. Um, but, you know, games that obviously are much bigger in scope and stuff and, you know, modern technologies and modern control things that, um, you know, you you would assume would make for a more believable, realistic experience. But um, it's, it, it, they don't. There's There's a certain realistic atmosphere that it has. There's something about the world and the way it kind of it, it almost exists despite you trying to, you know, fight your way to beating up the guy who killed your dad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, and it it does exist as well. Like, it quite literally exists. There was that really nice piece. I can't remember who wrote it now about. Uh, I think. Well, was it Eurogamer who talked about following the NPCs around for a day and just seeing them live mm. a full life? They Rio, Rio doesn't need to be there. Like they, yeah. <laughs> you know, that whole game happens anyway. I think a good test of it. And I, I think maybe the Yakuza games kind of replicate it a little bit mm. in that immersion is that you can't walk past the old lady when you first go into the sort of uh, Yamanose and, and, and yeah. towards Sakuragoka Park and things. And she asks you to find uh, the Yamamoto's house. Nobody yeah, says, now nah, get lost. Night. You know, it, you, you've got to help her, don't you? You feel no, like actually, you have to help her. <laughs> it's funny you say that because last night I actually did fuck her off. Um, <laughs> But it, but it, there was a justification for it. I wasn't playing the whole game. Yeah, <laughs> and um, all I wanted to do was get to the two um, uh, capsule machines oh, yeah, and yeah. Ri- and rinse reuse savings on it on stream. So yeah, that's all I did last night. As I played oh. the intro, ran into town, talked to the lass <laughs> about the cat, talked to her, and went, "Give me a minute. <laughs> <That's> fair, <laughs> I've just fair. got I've just got to go spend ten thousand yen." <laughs> On Virtua Fighter figures, just bear with. <laughs> Spend all of Ine-san's pocket money, and then you're gone. I oh, but, but yeah, things like that. Feeding the cats, not mm. upsetting Ine-san, wanting to get home on time so you don't get told off. Like yeah. it felt fact, like you were part of it, you know. Like that was quite. Mm. Big. I actually found out something I didn't even know existed in the game last night as well. We, I genuinely didn't even know about this. Yeah, I actually thought this was something that so I, I I'd been told it many times, but I actually thought it was bullshit. But. <laughs> confirmed that's like, i don't know why i didn't just look this up i you know you, there's a saturn inside his house yes because because his dad was a time traveler obviously yeah but um <laughs> but there's a saturn in his house i knew you could get the tape cassettes from the tomato convenience store in town mm-hmm. and if you win the lucky hit thing but yeah if you get a thing on the can or if you yeah get a lucky token every time you buy a product in the store you can win prizes, you know, you do a prize draw, one to five, and the, one of the big prizes you can get is a, a boombox, so you can play the tapes that you get in the game. But there's also, uh, the second prizes are the soundtracks to certain Sega games, so you can get the Hang On soundtrack, get um, the Outrun soundtrack, even though Outrun isn't in Shenmue 1. I didn't know that if you did the same thing, the, the lucky draw, at the Tomato Convenience Store in the... Um, the dockyard. Yes. You can win the games from the arcade. Yeah, you can get Space Harrier and I, and I, on, I yeah. always thought that that was bullshit and like they were only available in the arcade because <laughs> I never I never thought about playing I just thought it'd be the same thing but no the the top prizes in that one are the games to play at home. I had no idea. <laughs> What's that? 23 no yeah about 20 years later someone's like yeah you can just play it for free at home. Damn man, I had no idea. <laughs> It's hard to get though. Like the them them uh them them lucky tickets is uh yeah. is a difficult game, like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just gambling. It rem- always reminds me of when Aris streamed it and just like immediately found the fruities. 
And then, like, if you watch the stream archive for it, it's absolutely fascinating because it's like if someone's archived that on YouTube and it's like you look at the timestamps and it's like an hour in, he finds the fruities. And then you fast, you scroll it, and there's like <laughs> six solid hours of nice. just <laughs> just pulling this thing. That noise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, just over and over again. Absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> I do that now in the Yakuza games and Judgment games as well. Though you speed run to Club Sega and, and all the rest of it and, and get that bit done, don't you? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that that was a mad thing as well. Though remember when um I can't remember which one it would have been. It might have been Yakuza Five now when they put the, the first one where they put um Final Showdown in it. That was mad. Was it? It was either five or six. Six, I think. Maybe yeah. Six. Well, they yeah. put Final Showdown in because it wasn't available on PC at the time as well, and everyone just started going into like this kind of like mad frantic thing of like, well, hang on a minute, how can we play this netplay instantly? Yes. Everyone was trying to figure out a way to do it. Um, <laughs> I saw people using um, that awful like PS4 Pass-tick. pad sharing oh, thing, right, yeah, yeah. the one that's built into it, where you can like sh- do local co-op with um someone on the internet the lag on it is like com- makes it completely unplayable but <laughs> oh, people best. were just so desperate to be able to play some virtual fighter it was it was six song of life because i did it to get virtual fighter 5 on ps4 because that was the yeah. only way you could do it and i took it to a local and we actually had it and there was people going what, what's this game you're playing because uh yeah they, <laughs> they weren't like you know our local was at the time street fighter and tekken and stuff like that mm. and then there was we- me and an old boy playing virtual fighter yeah me <laughs> I've been that guy. It's quite fun as well. Like and it was it's been with Virtua Fighter as well. Like we had um we had one local and everyone was playing. It was actually Tekken and I just wasn't interested at all. And um yeah, we were playing Virtua Fighter. And again, yeah, it was on on the Yakuza game. We were playing Virtua Fighter on that and just instantly a load of people were like, Oh, what's this all about? <laughs> Why do all these throws look really good? <laughs> um and the other one, my absolute personal favourite one was um a friend of mine, um he used to work for Namco Bandai, and um, in in one of like the weird sort of weird, messy, incestuous scenes that is the FGC, especially the London scene, um, we used to do like a little. Me and him used to do a little get together at a bar in London, right? Mm-hmm. Where me and him would just show up with my Xbox, and I knew the owner, so we were allowed to just plug it in and we'd play Street Fighter Four, right? And then a few other people came in and went, "Oh man, we're pretty good at Street Fighter Four. We'll play it." And whenever anyone does that, my natural reaction is to be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because I'll be honest, the amount of times I've come a cropper on that, it, it's maybe two or three. But like, <laughs> there's been a hundred times where I've basically gone, oh, yeah, you're good, are you? Yeah. And just absolutely washed them um, and kind of shown them that there's levels to this. <laughs> but um, this was one of the times where I came a cropper where I was like, yeah, all right, go on then. And when the guy sat down next to me, he, he you know, Churned the butter as it is with the. For those of you who don't know what that means, it means rotate the stick on your fight stick. And when he did it, he said, "Oh, it's not an octogate." And straight away, it was like Metal oh. Gear exclamation point. <laughs> just oh, I'm about to get pumped. And um, yeah, he um, picked Zangief and just like absolutely ruined my afternoon. Um, <laughs> but uh, they kept coming back, and then Street Fighter Five came out, and um, you know we were eventually, you know, we were basically doing like multiple setups on an evening. And I ended up working for that bar. And once you start working for them, fight, people who play fighting games, they don't buy fucking drinks. So it's, <laughs> and it's very difficult to justify their space to them. 
um, when you know they're basically not making them any money. So eventually, we all went our separate ways. But the the splinter faction that went its separate ways became East London Fighters. Yeah, and they do all like the Tekken Soul Calibur stuff. Matt, they're pretty big deal now, and you know, fair play to them. But they were doing a Tekken tournament, and my mate had to go. But me and him went out the night before, and he was like hung over his balls and just was like i i have to go like i'm kind of ex- i'm part working like i've got to bring <laughs> take prizes to them and on the day he just pulled like the most bullshit power move ever which was like can you have a screen set aside just for me because i'm not going to enter the tournament but i just want yeah. something to do all day i'll bring my ps4 like don't worry about that i just want like just take one of the screens put it to one side reserved <laughs> That's the nightclub just, equivalent of reserving a booth. You just say, yeah, I've yeah, got my basically. ones set up at the door. You know, fair play to them. They were like, yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries, no worries. So he comes along with his fucking bags of t-shirts for prizes and shit like that. And they just go, oh yeah, just in the back there behind like the commentator's table, there's just like a screen you can go set yourself up. And me and him sat up and we just started playing Mark of the Wolves all day. Nice. And it was nice. amazing because we're at this Tekken tournament and it was you know in East London in this fucking warehouse and everyone is half our age. But everyone who came over was like, what is that? And was like super excited watching it and stuff. It was really, really cool. It's a hype game. I'm looking forward. Like, that, that, me and my siblings, we played a lot of um, Mark mm. of the Wolves uh, on the Dreamcast. It was a, a knockoff disc. Yeah, I know. That's how I had it too. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, one, no one bought Mark of the Wolves. <laughs> I don't know a single person who had a retail copy of it. Everyone I know had like a dodgy bootleg copy. Yeah, I've got a shiny silver disc of that that we used to play a lot. Uh, but mm. yeah, I'm looking forward like the announcement for the second one because that was a super hype game that I think, especially in this country, didn't get a lot of attention. Mm. So. It's my favourite 2D fighting game. It's a good one. Hands to have, down. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like the 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 top. I I know Third Strike gets most people's plaudits. Mm. And it's mad that they came out like within the same year. Oh yeah. Like yeah. Oof, what was in the water in Japan's fighting game scene in that in those days. But same um, year. Very similar design philosophies as well, I think, yeah. as well, which is impressive. What I love about it is like the it's it is in that one subtle thing. I'm I'm a Street Fighter guy and I don't really like King of the Fighters. Mm. Um, I like something a little bit more straightforward than yes. a lot of the options that KOF has, but it's, I guess it's no surprise that my favorite King of the Fight, well, favorite SNK fighting game is the one that is, does strip a lot of the stuff back. I think Go one probably, team battle, pick one character. Yeah, off your yeah exactly. <laughs> so, but, but like that game, I, 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 I much prefer it over third strike just because I like that it has a lot of the, um, sort of m- means of, uh, going from defense into offense really, really quickly. But yeah. it's safe. <laughs> it's pretty safe. Because like in Third Strike, you have to tap forward to do the parry, the infamous parry that I'm sure not you non-fighting game people have probably seen the famous Daigo video. But yeah, the whole the reason why that's a risk is because you have to tap forward within a certain frame gap of the attack landing to do the parry. Whereas in... Um, uh, in Mark of the Wolves, there's a it's called Just Defend, and you you just block like normal block at the right instead of time, holding yeah. black back block. Yeah, you block at the right time when you get it, so it's a lot less risky. But I I kind of like that because it means that you're more inclined to go for it. If that makes any sense, like at a lower level, you're more inclined to go. Oh, yeah. oh, I'll give that a try. Whereas I've um I've played people who are trying to learn Third Strike, and they don't even try to parry. Because they just want to block first. It's like their yes. first. So I find that um, most of the time, people who are playing Mark of the Wolves, and certainly myself, I found myself getting better at it quicker. 
because I was more inclined to go, oh, it's a bit safe. It's a bit less risky. So I'm going to try it more. I'm going to try and see what I can do from it. But um, yeah, when I saw the announcement of that, that was that was pretty wild. Worth sitting through a game that I detest watching to uh, see the... <laughs> That was that was my big thing about the KOF final at um, Evo. I was like, "Look, whether you like the game or hate the game, all I saw there was the grand finals were two people using the same team on training stage." Yes. And I was like, "Everything about that just says this game needs a little bit of a tweak." <laughs> when I see something like that, but um, no, well worth it. I was I was massively hyped. It, what is quite interesting is um, the interview's actually out now, so um, I can tell you this. Um, the editor of VGC uh, is a friend of mine, um, and he went to uh, Gamescom, and he was one of I think two or three journo's who were given an interview with um, Oda, right? Um, who I've spoke to before. Unfortunately, my interview was um, around the release of uh, that awful one with the women. Not it oh, wasn't awful because of the women. By the way, just before you clip me up, um, <laughs> no, there is good reason to say that that's a bad game. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was awful. <laughs> um, but yeah, the um, it was around that. So I went in there just going, you know what? I might just see how quickly I can just fuck off talking about that and just go like, hey man, do you want to talk about like Street Fighter? Um, but um, no. So I was kind of shackled. But um, he went over there and. Uh, they were open to talking about it. So in the last week, there's been a lot of like articles that have come out and that what it, his article was the one where he went, Oh, I'd love to do an SNK versus Capcom game again. Mm. It, it all came from his thing, but he, oh, yeah, yeah. he DM'd me on Twitter just saying like, right, I'm not a fighting game guy. What shall I ask him? And I just went like hit loads of this stuff got leaked years ago. I know that it's not going to be 2d. So don't even waste his time with that. But ask him how much of those delete design docs are going to make it into the new one. And he was like, you know, quite a bit. Quite a lot of that stuff is apparently in the game. But that's all out there now. But yeah, he, 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 I just thought that's probably the one thing I want to find out that I don't think anyone else is going to ask. Yeah, that's exciting they, as well, actually. Yeah, and then he went on and said he wanted to do SNK versus Capcom, and that instantly became the headline. And yeah. that very, that otherwise very interesting question was torpedoed. Basically, what's really funny about that though is his answer says, "Oh, like I'd love to do an SNK versus Capcom. Everyone at SNK is really up for it, but we haven't asked anyone at Capcom." No, no, it was a different time. I, I'm, uh, it, it's one of them, isn't it? What, what are your thoughts, right? Like, is it should it just be left where it is, like? And yeah. just it's it's in a good place. Let's not ruin it by kind of putting another sequel onto it. That's just not, I don't even think you could make anything close to it these days. No. You know, it's like it's my favorite. Ah. My favorite thing about Street Fighter is that it's usually just Street Fighter. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite thing about it. Like I get Tekken, loads of guest characters. I love Soul Calibur. Guest characters are sort of part of it. You have to kind of take that, but. One of the things I like about Street Fighter is the guest characters come from within its own sort of mini universe. Like, uh, like, like about the most exotic thing they've done in the last, you know, 10, 15 years of Street Fighter is going, ah, uh, Zeku's the first of the Striders, yes. you know, from Strider. And I'll be honest, I, I instantly was like, that's the best thing ever. Like, I'm super, like, Strider's one of my favorite ever games. But, um, but, I like that it's all insular and they don't have to go, let's Kaya Kazanagi, right? We've got him in the game now. I, I kind of like that they it's their own little thing. But the others, 
I don't mind Street Fighter characters appearing in those games because usually that's the character I want to see. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. He's the guy I'm going to be because I know who he is. So, yeah. I fell for that a few times as well. Like, you know, any game that has them as guest characters, you go, yeah, I'll give that a go. I played Teppin for a very long time and things like that mm. and stuff like that because you just go, oh, it's Street Fighter stuff. I'll do that. Yeah, no, there's been a few. There's been quite a few of those. What was that King of the Fighters? Um, it's that mobile game that was. It's the one where it was like Streets of Rage. Oh, that sort of. Ga- oh, um, yeah, yeah, it's a gacha as hell. Gacha, I, play, yeah. I, I played it for like a month because they added loads of Street Fighter guys and bafflingly John Cena. Yes, <laughs> I forgot what that's called. <laughs> I, I, I did the same. I, I had uh, I had some pretty rare ones from what I could tell on uh, on there as well. Yeah. But yeah. But no, um, I, I think they should probably leave them where they are. Like, it's, <laughs> it's it's always going to be cool if anything like that comes up. But you know, it's I kind of like that everyone's sort of forging their own identity at the minute. Like everyone's kind of got like their own titles that sort of stand out. Like Arc System Works have their very clear visual style. That sort yeah. of regardless of who's publishing it, they've got a lot of different stuff going on there. And then you've got. You know, Bandai, Namco, whatever they're called these days, largely responsible for the 3D stuff. And obviously, Dragon Ball's kind of its own thing. Neverrealm doing their stuff. And whether it's a Mortal Kombat or an Injustice, again, they've got their own vibe. They've got their own thing. And even, like, you look at, like, KOF 1415 and Sam Show, like, there is sort of, like, a bit of a through line visually they're the whole starting thing. to find it, aren't they? I think it yeah. took a couple of tries, but I think people are starting to see, oh, just because it doesn't look like the older games doesn't mean it's not good. No. <laughs> I think that was such a weird hang-up for a really long time. I mean, to, to be fair to them, I can see why, because those games were significantly better looking as oh, a 2D yeah. game. Like, you know, I mean, the gap between them. Whereas, like, um, you know, you look at Street Fighter Two and you look at Street Fighter V, and you can instantly go, oh, well, they're the same guys. It's a linear progression, pretty much. Yeah. Through, yeah. Whereas if you look at like the 2D artwork from like 13, or whichever one it was, and then look at like the 3D artwork in 14, you're like, oh, this is, this is actually not, this isn't progress. No. <laughs> it was a rough start. I, I, I definitely contributed to, to the problem <laughs> there as well. But like, I think we're starting to see, you know what? If that's the way they want to take it, mm. they're starting to they're starting to get it right. There's nice shaders over the characters now and things, and they're starting yeah. to look like they don't, they don't just look like flat 3D models like they did in 14, and, yeah. and that was kind of scary. But yeah, that is one of the things that I have seen that was like, I, I was like, yeah, fair enough. I uh, as much as I know, there's no point um, even there's no point even setting myself up for anything other than disappointment, right? With with this. But I, but at the same time, I, I I did sort of go no, I get it, and I and I'd like to I'd like to think that they're aware of this. But it was um, imagine Obama put out an um. He's a oh, by the way, I'm just not just plucking these random hacker aliases out of nowhere. By the way, he's a fighting game like commentator slash content creator. Um, he um said that like the one thing they have to get right with a new Mark of the Wolves is that they've got to make it look good. He's like, yeah. is it, like he goes, it's a beautiful looking game. You can't show up and go, like, here it is. It's like, you know, mobile phone looking 3D models that, you know, don't really have any like real art direction. They just look like the characters. And I was, I did sort of go, surely they must know 
<laughs> like there's so much riding on it because it's an incredible looking game even now. The, the again that and third strike at the time like they've stood up very very well mm. like you know I, I don't know if you watch cooperation cup whenever that's on mm. it became less and less frequent uh, for yeah. reasons but um you know that's 20 20 years now of playing the same game over and over again but you watch it now and it still feels fresh and it still feels like you're watching new games and the game yeah. doesn't look old you know like yeah that's cool but one of my thing I... one of my favorite things about co-op cup so co-op cup is like yeah it's a it's a third strike tournament, all original hardware, all arcade, you know, original arcades uh, played. It's brilliant because, like, you see the crowd and you, you see the crowd at, like, a Street Fighter Five tournament and it's a fair mix of backgrounds and ages, right? Pretty solid and pretty, I'd say, you know, you're going from, like, actually young kids to, like, 40 years old. Whereas yeah. when you look at the crowd at Co-op Cup, there's just like lads who've quite clearly come from their office job. Oh, they and they're are all like they're like forty-two yeah. and fucking amazing. <laughs> and my other favorite thing about Co-op Cup is, every, I mentioned it earlier, the Daigo Parry video, right? Where um, you know Justin Wong does a raw super with Chun Li, and Daigo famously parries every hat, every hit of the super, counters with his own combo, and wins the match. Now, that there is held up as, like, the greatest fighting game moment of all time, right? And, you know, I, right, rightly so in terms of its influence and, you know, it probably got more people watching and playing fighting games than any other clip you can put on yeah. the internet. But the dirty secret behind it is if you watch Co-op Cup, what Daigo did there ain't that special. Like, you, <laughs> it, like loads of players do it. And when you see the alternative angle, this is going to start sounding a bit like the Zapruder tape sort of thing. But um, when you when you see the alternative angle of the Daigo Parry, you hear one of um, Justin Wong's mates shout very, very loudly, don't do it, Justin, before he yeah. does it. Because he knows. Anyone there knew that, like, oh, being able to parry Chun-Li's super, all right, it, you know, I can't fucking do it reliably. I'm not saying it's easy. But a player like Daigo is probably going to be able to do it, and he probably shouldn't have done that. And that's the amazing thing about watching Co-op Cup is you see, like, if you think that that Daigo parry is sick and hype and gets you excited, then you want to watch Co-op Cup next time it's on because you see that every match, someone oh, doing something amazing. A couple of times every match, sometimes yeah. like, you know, supers come so frequently in that game mm. that yeah, it's there's always a chance. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really really good. Again, it's it, and Co-op Cup's pretty good. It, like as much as a sort of, I, I, I say that like a lot of old fighting games kind of get figured out. Yeah, like Chun Li is really good, and so on and so forth. Like there is still like a decent amount of like character variants, and people get excited when they see someone doing bits with like a Remy and stuff. So yeah, it's well, still well worth watching. It's it's not an official rule, but there's kind of a you probably know there's like a, a level of respect rule at the cooperation yeah. cup, which is that you're supposed to character lock to a single character per team. So there is mm. like a weird Alex team and things like that, and mm. there's normally a Yun and Yang team. They don't all stick to one of them, but yeah, they yeah. they try to stick to one character with, with each team and stuff. And it does mean yeah, you still get to see a good range of the the characters mm. at least. No, it's decent, but no, it's it's. If you, if, I had this again a little bit last night. Um, fighting games always come up. They're going to come up a lot on this podcast just because of <laughs> me being around. Um, never mind my guest. <laughs> but um, 
I, last night I played for the first time ever in my life the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure CPS oh, 3 Yes. Now, the reason why it's the first time I've ever played it in my life is because I've watched four episodes of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and it didn't really do anything for me. Which um, season? It was the at season. Oh, here we go. This yeah, is where you go. Ah, oh, you've got to watch till episode <laughs> nine of season one. And I went, no, I'm not having this. If you, if I can't watch it from the start, I'm not interested. Um, and then someone went. Someone said to me, they went like, look, people fall into two different camps. They either like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure or they like Fist of the North Star. And you look like you can't dress yourself. So I think that you're in the Fist of the North Star <laughs> camp. And I was like, I mean, I feel like I've been shot here. I think you're right. I don't know enough about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure to know that that is an insult. But also, I know enough to know that I think I think you've just hit me with a truth bullet there. So, um, so I've watched like four episodes, um, and so I know very little about it other than probably like the memes and stuff that are online. Mm-hmm. So I've never played it, but um, again, when I was playing Dreamcast games last night, someone was like, play fucking JoJo's. So I was like, all right, yeah, fine, sure, JoJo's it is. Um, and yeah, I, I knew nothing, and I didn't really... I played it for like half an hour in training mode, didn't play a single match, and I was just looking for combos. But one of the lads in the chat, who who is a big JoJo's fan, he was like, I don't play fighting games. How have you managed to pick this up in 20 minutes? Yeah, And I had to sort of give him the sort of half-truth, whole-truth thing where I was like, right, the reason why um, it looks like I've picked it up is because there's a lot of transferable skills. So if you're thinking about getting into fighting games, just pick one that you like and start playing it. Don't wait for a new one to come out because everyone will be on ground floor because the reality is there is no ground floor anymore. People have been playing these games for ages. Just pick something up, start playing it, get moving. If it's JoJo's you want to play, then play JoJo's. But also, what you're seeing here is not really me picking it up at all. I'm just doing Street Fighter stuff and hoping yes. for the best. I know, I know nothing about the systems or the combos or what works or how I can juggle things. I don't know anything about the specifics of this character. I'm just doing Street Fighter stuff, and it, it works. And if Street Fighter stuff doesn't work, I'll try like Mortal Kombat stuff. And if that doesn't work, I'm probably not going to be able to play the game. Yeah. And it happens to be a Capcom fighting game from probably the densest period of Capcom yeah. fighting games per year ever to come out. So there's probably a lot of overlap between. between oh, massively, them. yeah, yeah. So and it was like instantly, I was like, I did like quarter circle forward, like did did a fireball input <laughs> with a guy, and he didn't throw a fireball, but he did like a one like attack, and yeah. instantly I went, oh, he's a wrecker character. So I did yeah. it again, and yeah, he's yeah, a wrecker. He's got a wrecker, <laughs> and um, but and this is what I was trying to explain to them is like there is this like um. Like I was saying, like English, French, German, different languages, but they will they will all have like specifics of you know rules of like sentence yes. structure and stuff. And these sentences might be structured differently across them, but there will be certain things that are similar just by the very nature of it being a spoken language. And I was like, fighting games kind of have that. There is this thing that goes along all of them, and if you can if you can pick that up, then you can basically play any of them. I, I think the way I kind of explained it to them in a way that they understood, I was like, if if I turned around to you all today and said, let's play Konami Crazy Racers right, on multiplayer right now, you'd be like, I've never played Konami Crazy Racers, so I don't know what the characters do. I don't know what the tracks are, and I don't want, know what the weapons are, but I have played Mario Kart, so I kind of know what I'm supposed yeah. to be doing. Like, accelerate, turn the corners, try and win, use the items. And then you'll figure the rest out whilst playing it. 
but yeah, you can do that with, excuse me, fighting games as well. Oh, definitely. I think in my old age, I'm kind of trying to optimize that a lot as well with my own character selection. I want to find a character that gets me to a level of competency quicker. I don't really care mm. about being the best anymore. It's like, how can I get good enough to have fun with my mates? Right. And, yeah, that's what I do. If I can do that, I can get good with anyone because then you're enjoying yourself and then you're at that point. And again, if you're not used to that, it's very difficult to get people to... Honestly, you want to find a character that you're happy dying a lot with. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I was going to actually ask you, like, what is your sort of approach to characters? Because like, there is, there seems to be two schools in fighting games. And the best players are the ones who can exist with a foot in each school at the same time. And the two schools are... The first one is you take your losses... You learn about self-improvement. You enjoy the tr- the journey and learning. And you found a character that regardless of their position on the tier list, you enjoy what they're doing and you like to find out the intricacies. And win or lose, the journey is what it's there for. And eventually you will just get better over time. And the other school is work smart, not hard. <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's it, right? You pick a top tier character. You go, right, who's got the cheapest shit? Um, I don't know if you know him, um, uh, my, my mate Edwin, he's uh, Tales of Mr. E, plays, yeah, a, yeah. Lot of, plays a lot of um, the sort of anime games, uh, KOF, SNK stuff. Um, the only game I can beat him at is Street Fighter V, because he's got Great. like a really cheap Urian that he's still trying to do like season two stuff with, and mm. it don't work anymore. So, I, <laughs> But like, I've played him on Tekken, I've played him on KOF. I've played him on like I played him on DNF Duel once, and it's just it's miserable. Like yeah. it's horrible because he <laughs> does just go right. Who's the cheapest character? I remember when KOF fourteen came out, and there was a tournament like the weekend it came out. So we actually ran the day one tournament for KOF, all signed off by the publisher and stuff. Yeah. So we did the first tournament, but the next day there was another one. And it was kind of done by like London scene stuff. So it actually had a lot more buzz than ours because it was like the proper one. But um, he came second in that. And straight away on day one, everyone found, um, I can't remember her name, last from Samurai Shodan, Nakaroku? Nakaroku? Uh, with the bird. With the bird, yeah. right? <laughs> well, people found out on day one that when you do the move that she flies up and grabs the bird, She's yep. completely invincible. Mm-hmm. Right? right? Yeah, from, from ground to grabbing the bird, invincible. Ah, <laughs> completely invincible. It was patched within a month. Like it, it was it was unintentional, not supposed to be a thing. It was <laughs> it, it was but it busted, actually busted. Because it basically meant if you were in the corner and That's there was a block jail in the block, card, you could yeah. just fly up to the bird and then <laughs> go away. Right. Needless to say, straight away, watch who's in his team. Nakaroku. So um, DNF Duel, day one, um, everyone was saying that the big fella, uh, Crusader, the guy yes. with the big shield and he could bring up the walls, everyone was like, he's so cheap. He can hit you from like full screen into like a you know, 90% combo and then you've got a guess for game on the next one. He was playing him straight away. He entered a lot of tournaments and he was kind of coming like, you know, top four, sometimes runner up. He was always up there doing really, really well, but he was never... He never made it to the top one, mainly because the guy who is winning a lot of these tournaments is like regarded as one of the best players in the world, never mind Europe. I can't remember his <laughs> name, but um, he's really good. But um, but yeah, everyone started saying that Swiftmaster was super cheap, mm-hmm. really cheap. 
and everyone start and like with him. Next thing I know, I tune into his stream and he's sat in training mode and he's doing Swift Master combos, learning all the cheap stuff. And that's just, and, and he loves that. No character loyalty, doesn't yeah, yeah. care. Like they might as well be, I know Capcom got in a lot of trouble for it, but they might as well be a function. Like he is literally <laughs> just looking for who has the best stuff yeah. that I can learn. And and then I will learn it. And it's kind of regardless of execution, because his execution is amazing. So he is just looking for the cheapest stuff, whatever it is. If it's if it's if it's genuine bugs or just really good, that character's just really, really good, he'll pick it. Whereas I kind of fall into I think the same camp as you where I'm like, if the character doesn't do X, Y, and Z, I'm not interested. There's like a there's a secret one, right? So All right. you've got the two options. There is a secret third door there. Uh and it's because of uh, it's because of the way things work now. So picking a top tier, absolutely fantastic idea, especially in retro games. Right? If yeah. you're playing an older fighting game, it's easy to find out who the best characters are, what the best stuff is. Now it's a moving target. If you pick the best character, by the time the next big championship comes around, they're going to get nerfed to hell and you're going to have to mm. learn a new character if you want to keep playing that game. The, the secret trick is to pick a boring character somewhere in the middle. And you might remember, I played Rainbow Mika for a very long time in Street Fighter. She never got mm. nerfed, but if you didn't get nerfed or buffed, it was kind of a stealth buff because yeah. they were mostly trying to draw attention away from whoever everyone was complaining about. So she stayed in the middle, but kind of creeped up a little bit, a little bit. And then, you know, in the first mm. season she was buffed, but yeah, she got yeah. that nerf and then, and then they left her alone. So I, I stuck with her for a long time just because of that, really. If you can find a character that's just not interesting enough for them to meddle with. You can enjoy yourself. See, I've basically (laughs) lucked out massively with Street Fighter V. So I like grapplers, but not Zangief. I like a hybrid grappler, that kind of like mid-ground. I don't really like charge characters, but I've kind of had to just learn and suck that up at this point. So, so But at first, um, I had the game before anyone else did because I was reviewing it. So I had like a month of just messing around. And the character that I actually enjoyed playing the most was Dal Sim. Right. Because oh, I'm just... surprised by that. Yeah. No, no, I know. Me too. Never played him in any other game. So I went to the launch event because, you know, it's my job at the time. Went to the launch event and they had a launch event tournament. And loads of publications sent like, oh, this guy's going to enter the tournament for this magazine. And this guy's going to enter the tournament for this magazine. Long story short, I'm looking at the trophy right now. Uh, um, nice. I, did, I, did, I, did, I didn't lose a round, never mind the game. But... Part of this was just because no one knew how to deal with Dal Sim's teleport mix-up. And the, the grand final was me versus um, uh, Logan, Street Fighter commentator, okay, right. yeah. uh, who was like the only person who kind of knew what he was doing, but even he didn't have a fucking clue what to deal with at the time. But Dal Sim, the game came out and, you know, once, um, you know, the sort of, everyone started playing the game, it became clear that Dal Sim was not actually that good. Um, no. You know, just <laughs> really struggled in corners, couldn't deal with the pressure. Uh, had a lot of interesting tools, but other characters could just do it, do a lot of better for less effort, basically. And then Alex came out, and Alex was much more my speed, so I started playing him. And you know, he's again like like Mika, kind of he was mid of the pack. You know, had some strengths, but a lot of it was kind of based on you conditioning your opponent to not do something or do something rather than actually just being able to put it on them. But both of those characters just slowly but surely have got better and better and better <laughs> as the seasons have come on. And what, like, what's kind of interesting about uh, the modern fighting game is that they get patched until they don't. And when they don't get patched anymore, that is like, that's it. That's that game forever. 
So if your character gets nerfed in the final patch, like Urian mains, I know a lot of people who've been playing Urian for ages, and yeah. he had an invincible headbutt. So he could do he could spend some of his meter to do like a headbutt attack that was completely invincible. So it was very, very good if someone was just trying to put pressure on you while you were getting up from the floor. On wake up is the parlance for that. You could just do this headbutt and it beat most of their things. And you know, it was kind of a guessing game and a very good tool within that guessing game. In the final patch, they have made it no longer invincible, no matter what. So that is like a fundamental change to something that they've been using for what, like four or five years now? Yeah, yeah, long time. And it, but this is it. To the best of our knowledge, that is that is the final version of that character. Whereas with me, I've got people going like complaining, going, Dal Sim's the best character in the game now. He's completely bust. He's playing a different game. <laughs> he can do stuff that other characters can't do. And most people say that like, oh, Alex isn't the best character in the game, but he's significantly better than what he was previously. So I kind of feel that I've lucked out because whenever I if I ever go back to Street Fighter Five in future, which you know is a different matter altogether. I kind of know that both my characters have been left in a good place, yeah, know, preserved in ice until I come back to them, never to be, you know, <laughs> like in the upper mid tier. So I'm quite happy with that. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah, mod- modern problems require models, modern solutions, and all that. And I think, yeah, it is a different one with fighting games. I think where there's there's still a little bit of arcade culture creeping in, and still people have that kind of old way of doing things, and mm. they think that. You either should be loyal or you should pick top tiers, and there's still that thing. But more people need to be looking at look. These are service games now. We need to yeah. understand how to deal with this. We need to probably start looking at competitive League of Legends players who've actually dealt with that for a long time, that perfect imbalancing and all mm. of that kind of thing, and, and figure out what they do. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it's yeah one of my one of the um, my, I think I mentioned this on one of the previous episodes. My big prediction for Street Fighter Five is um, there was. Uh, some official Capcom commun sorry Street Fighter Five Street Fighter Six. Um, there was some official Capcom communication that said um, the game is going to be treated as like three separate games. That yes. The um, the online mode, which we don't know anything about, is going to be whatever it is. The battle mode or whatever it's called, I can't remember its name, is basically where all the versus mode and practice mode and stuff is. Basically, all your offline arcade stuff. All of that's under one banner. And then there's the world tour mode, which is the stuff that we've seen where it looks like an open world where you can wander around and get involved in final fight stuff. And it looks really, really cool. But they seem to be sort of pitching that as like three separate experiences, each with their own merits. Um, And they're probably going to, excuse me, potentially appeal to three possibly different audiences. There might be people picking up just for single player. They're going to play that. There's going to be people like you and I who have interest in all aspects of it. And there's going to be people who, you know, the, the people who sort of just like fiend ranked matches on Street Fighter Five all day on their streams, they might never touch the World Tour mode unless there's any reason to do it. But my prediction is that third mode, the um the the online bit, I can't mm. I can't remember it's called Battle Hub or something like that. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think that's gonna be released separately as free to play. Just that bit. Yeah. So if the- you pay your fifty quid, you get all everything. But that part is going to be just, you can also just download the Battle Hub as like a separate thing online, essentially to kind of guarantee a constant rolling stream of new blood into the game. So when something like Evo happens and everyone does that 24-hour period where they go, oh my God, fighting games look really cool. I want to get into them. Oh wait, it's 30 quid. I don't want to pay 30 quid just to get piped and then never play it again. Yeah, yeah. They can go... Oh, I could just download it. 
And I think that there's going to, I think, I just think that they're going to, that they're just, just the the way that they've messaged it. And I think that that kind of feeds into a lot of the future stuff about it being very much a game as service. That's a good way to approach it. Like, you know, that's what Fortnite did. Nobody plays Fortnite. They play Fortnite Battle Royale. That's a different game. People forget that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Fortnite was not not a Battle Royale game. (laughs) It was like a Minecraft ripoff in a way, wasn't it? It Kind of, yeah. It was was like an. um, yeah, like a horde mode, wasn't it? It was like yeah. you, you built a base and like enemies attacked you and stuff. That's is that even still in it? I, I, I know that that's the bit you paid for. That was the bit yeah. you paid for. So I've guessed it's probably not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that but it shows that's a reliable model load as well, doesn't it? If you need a concurrent player base, make that bit that requires the player base free. If people really love it for other things, then they can get into that. I do think that the the single player stuff looks interesting. Hmm. I've got a personal belief that one of the ways to get new players in is to get them to play a lot and enjoy themselves a lot. Yeah. I think that's something that we as fighting game people are very bad at doing. Yeah, uh, Tutorials isn't enough to cut it. Other little sneaking it into stories and things isn't enough to cut it. I think you have it's to have never a done single well, player that. experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, like whenever they try and sneak it in, it's always awful because it's all stuff like do a fireball, do it yeah. three times. It's it's so It's so bad. Um, again, I think I've mentioned this like a few times with like different people. I did an article which never got published where I interviewed um, James Chen, Automatic, and uh, the lad who wrote Geef's Gym, Joe Monday. Uh, Joe Monday, yeah. Yeah, uh, just about tutorials in fighting games. And as much as I'm not a massive fan of the game, something that James Chen said um, really stuck with me. Like I still think it's like the best answer to this, where he went, the best tutorial in the fighting game ever is the targets and the um, beanbag in Smash. Yes. And I was like, what are what you on about? And he's like, well, the targets teach you that you could like, you have to hit in different directions and, you know, you can hit through walls and stuff because that's how you do it and how to move around in the air and actually fire off attacks in different directions. And he goes on the beanbag, it teaches you how much damage can I do in, on a, on a, pla- in a small area yes. as quickly as possible. Right that's the game between those two things they've taught you everything that you need to then be able to play against your friends you know he did sort of caveat it with like obviously there's stuff in smash brothers that the game doesn't teach you if you want to play at a high level but Mm. let's be fair here that's all stuff that nintendo did not expect to have to ever deal with it's all bugs and exploitations of the systems but in terms of like teaching you the two things that they intended to be the core systems he goes, that's the best tutorial ever because you don't know it's happening and it's compelling in its own right. Um, that's very Nintendo as well, isn't it? That's their... Oh, yeah, of... totally. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's trust them to be able to do that. It's interesting that they haven't actually been able to do anything like that since or anyone hasn't... Act, no one's actually gone and looked at that and gone, yeah, this is it. This is how you do it. Because I get a lot of people say things like Arc System Works tutorials are really good. And by that, they mean Arc System Works tutorials are really in depth. They don't mean good because I said this about um, I reviewed uh, um, Xrd Rev Two, yeah, which I, is a game I really like. But I had to put this thing in where I was like, "You will hear people saying that this game has got a brilliant tutorial, and it does." But it's still it's like learning brain surgery. Like you still have to like go, "Oh, this is a really complicated game with lots of different things in it." So. Yes, it has a very good tutorial which teaches you how to do all of this stuff, but it's what it's teaching you to do is very difficult. So yeah. very complicated. I had that, 
with Under Night, that's another one that's got a, a good tutorial system. Yeah. It's a very in-depth one. And it, it's easy to look back at it as someone who understands fighting games and go, holy crap, this is teaching me an option select. That's yes. amazing. But if you're going the other direction, you don't know what you're being taught right there. You're going, yeah. what do I have to do to get to the next stage of the tutorial? I don't really understand how this applies. Just what do I have to do to see the clear thing come up on yeah. the screen and I can go to the next bit, you know? Yeah. It's a very different thing. I mean, this comes up a lot, but like the the one game that was so far ahead of the curve in terms of like tutorial stuff, showing frame data, teaching you things like, you know, option selects and stuff, doesn't really teach you option selects, <laughs> but you know, it teaches you fighting game uh, sort of core things that you will see in other games, uh, as well as like doing the free to play thing is Killer Instinct. Like, I yes. I, like that game should, for all intents and purposes, be the biggest fighting game. Because it, it did every it, all these people who say this is what you need to do to make a big fighting game. Like you, see, you watch Max's videos, and he's all like brilliant tutorialization, free to play model, you know. And yeah. he and he's not wrong because you look at all the other things around the world that do well. You know, they all share these things. For all intents and purposes, Killer Instinct should be the biggest fighting game because it does all of them. It's just it was an Xbox exclusive at a time where the the name was Poison, and then they botched yeah. the PC launch. Um, it was uh, it, well. It wasn't the one I'm thinking of. Was it Defend the North? I think it was Defend the North. It was one of the tournaments in America, opening year for King, uh, Killer Instinct. They had the DRM issue come up in a oh, match yeah, in a tournament, that. Yeah. and that torpedoed that game for a lot of people. In turn, mm. well, it torpedoed that, that that console as a, a thing of we can take that to tournaments. If I'm going to get hit with the, a DRM, sorry, you have to connect this in and confirm that you've got a, a legitimate copy of this game. While money's on the line, mm-hmm. that's not a competitive console, and it really did. You know, you've I've, I've never seen an Xbox at a tournament, as far as I know, and I've been going to tournaments oh. the entire time they've been out. You know, so <laughs> Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty, absolutely, but the new ones, yeah. no. It's interesting that you said that. I think the pendulum on that's about to swing back the other way. So yeah, you're right. During Street Fighter Four Marvel Three era, the the Three Hundred and Sixty was the one to get because the, the games ran better on those consoles. The console was way more reliable. Despite yeah. the Red Ring of Death, believe me, it was way more reliable. <laughs> um, and because of the popularity of it, most of the hardware, like as in things like your fight stick, pads that people were buying, they were buying Xbox 360 versions. So, and, and there was all these like mad decisions as well, like the PS3 sticks were all, like wireless and stuff. I'm like, yeah, remember that? that? Was just like, revi- well, that's, that's where we are now, isn't it? Though, like w- the way that Street Fighter Five went with Sony and with mm-hmm. Evo going the way of Sony wireless controllers have been made legal now they weren't legal back yeah. then that was a serious issue you didn't dare bring a wireless controller to a tournament you know? no no i mean you still definitely you still sort of don't now i mean you, you get away <laughs> with it but like you still anyone who's playing wireless like you know it's kind of, i mean even like the top pros who play on pads still wire in and i think they actually added that mode didn't they where you can disable pads that they only work if they're plugged in or something like that uh, yeah I, you'll still find i find Normally, if you go into a big, because the, the big thing with fighting games is that they're normally open bracket, so anyone mm. can turn up. You still are going to find if you sit down at a tournament setup, you're going to have to desync a bunch of Bluetooth devices uh, yeah, 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 before you start your match. You know, it's, it's, it's like as it's pretty much its own button check in its own right. Yes. But that, what I mean is, um, the, the Evo Sony things um, could torpedo this, but like Street Fighter Six is coming out and everything, and Street Fighter Five being on the PlayStation is what sold me a PS4 because yes. long before Street Fighter Five came out, I went, 
all right, well, I was on the fence between the two consoles, but one of them is not going to have Street Fighter V. So I don't care what else it has. I can't buy it as my prime. I mean, I ended up with both eventually. But when it was when the choice had to be made, I was like, well, there's no choice there. I have to buy the one that has Street Fighter on it. Anything else that comes out is a bonus. It is what it is. Um, but then um, looking at Street Fighter Six, it's coming out on all platforms. The PlayStation 5 still isn't reliably in stock. And when no. it is, it's just gone up in price. It's like, what, like nearly 500 quid? Yeah, they just ramped it again, didn't they? Like the yeah. Other day. yeah. So like, let, let's say 500 quid. And that's before you've bought the game, you know, dealt with all the account stuff that you have to have on there, you know, potentially to get it working. Now, I'm not thinking about Evo at this point because they can probably click their fingers and make PS5s appear to do any tournament, right? That's yeah. presumably what they can do if they've got Sony backing. But like, I'm thinking about like the lads I mentioned earlier, East London Fighters. That I don't, you know, I mean, they're they're tournament organizers, so I would assume that they have a lockup somewhere, or or it's in someone's garage where they've got a bunch of, you know, lagless monitors that they've got. You know, they'll probably use that one that everyone uses. I've totally forgotten its name. But the Zowie, I'm talking yeah, to you on it Zowie, right now. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. They've probably got a fucking lockup full of, you know, 26-inch Zowies, or whatever it is, um, and PS4s, right, just sat in a lockup. And when they do the tournaments, they stick them all in the van, take them to the event, set them all up. Job done, right? They've pro. I mean, I don't know what their setup is, but I imagine they've got probably got about 10 monitors and 10 PS4s, right, let's just say. You can't replace all them with a PS5. Now I know that the game's out on the PS4 as well, but that that raises its other question, you know, other questions about how it performs and whatnot, and what the load times are going to be like. But I've got a Series S, and that's two hundred and fifty quid, yeah, and is so far a really reliable bit of kit. And yeah, all right. Here's the other thing: the Series S version of Street Fighter Six probably doesn't output at four K, but his kind of thing that you guys might not understand if you don't go to fighting game tournaments is no one's using 4k monitors like that that it's all those zowie you know 1080p screens yeah we've been proven wrong now but a lot of us actually used to downscale thinking that if we made it run colder at like 720 we yeah. get a more consistent it, it turned out not to be true but yeah we were quite comfortable running at 720 you know so yeah yeah but that but yeah exactly what i mean though is um like the monitors that these tournament organizers have in their lockups, they're not 4K screens. No. So the fact that, you know, the fact that the game can be played in 4K is almost irrelevant. If 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 the Series S can only do a locked frame rate at 1080p, but other than that, the experience is identical to the top one that's running in 4K, you can get two Series S's for the price of one PS5. And that's probably going to be even more so, because you're going to probably start seeing those second-hand soon. Yeah. And I've just got a feeling that we're going to see a weird split, potentially, where um, the big tournaments, like the big, big tournaments, your Evos and things like the Red Bull Kumite are all going to be ran on PS5 just because it seems to be like the prestige platform. But they're yeah. all, you know, in Evo's not, it's open bracket, but like the Red Bull Kumites, obviously, it's an invitational, but you know, people see monkey see monkey do, they're going to see it on PS5, it's going to be advertised everywhere. But I think the local tournament that you go to every fortnight or every week or however, however often it is that you go to your local that spring up, because believe me, 
they will spring up again. There's going to be a lot of action when Street Fighter Six comes out. I can see them all being on Xbox. And then yeah. it raises the question of like, well, what stick are you going to buy? What pad are you going to buy? Because you can't have both. You know, no, they're no. expensive, you know. There's, uh, this, this is a, a litmus test for coming from a, a local TOs thing as well. Because I, I, I'm not one of the main TOs at Newcastle, but I, I do help out there and I provide mm. equipment, a little bit of equipment. Um, but PS5 versus Xbox Series S, just a little thought experiment here. How many PS5s could you confidently build a Jenga tower out of? Well, I'm looking at mine now. I reckon I can get three, and then it becomes <laughs> sketchy. Bit scary. Xbox Series S? Oh, you could go for days. You could build a house, right? Yeah. And, you, yeah. <laughs> and that's the, a weird... It sounds really silly and arbitrary, but that matters to a tournament organiser because you're the person who has to fit a bunch of them into a van and you have to keep them in a garage corner, like you said, and things well, like that. Well, that's the other thing, yeah. Like, just like literally storage size. I mean, I, I found out <laughs> the other day that look, the Series S, like its length, is the same as the Steam Deck, which actually mainly says that the Steam Deck's massive yes. more than anything else. <laughs> but... Yeah, like if you hold a Series S and look at it like you're like holding it like a console, it's the same width length as the Steam Deck. So it's pr- for a console, it's very small. But yeah, I just think that we're on the cusp of potentially some like really odd issues. And then there's like the entire um, let's just bump everything to PC. Um, it's, that's thing. my first thought there. As soon as you start saying that, you go, well, at that point, if it's specialist equipment and invitationals, HP Omen has to be sponsoring that, right? Because that's yeah, what yeah. they do. And... Well, they did it at um, <laughs> Defend the North, didn't they? Um, uh, uh, a guy on um, Twitter, TS Sabin, um, NYC Furby, aka Young Arturo Sanchez. Um, it sounds like we're all from the Matrix or something. Yeah, yeah, it's all a hacker alias. Is <laughs> fighting game, fighting game royalty. I guess um, he's he knows a thing or two about like latency and technical aspects of you know monitors and how to maximize the possible frame rate and latency that you can get out of a monitor. And I think defend the north was all on PC and it was all yeah. his kind of like brainchild where he um he had like two brook converters plugged into the USB ports permanently on the PC. Yes. That basically were feeding a signal that it was an Xbox you know direct X uh, sorry direct X X input controller. Yeah. So whenever you plugged un- or unplugged your controller you were plugging it into something. So the the PC never thought that you were plugging in a different stick. It just went, ah, you're plugging in the same thing that was just unplugged, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like yeah. When, when someone unplugged their stick from the brook, all it sounded like was, well, all the PC thought was someone has unplugged a, a direct, a, sorry, cross input device. And when someone plugged it back in again, it just thought that the same device had been plugged back in. And I, I, I was looking into the sort of aftermath of that event because I was like, this is going to make or break the idea of having PCs as some kind of solution to all of this. And I didn't see anyone saying it didn't work. No, uh, it, it worked. It, there's there's some expense and some effort, well, a lot of expense and effort that's gone yeah. into getting that to work that way. Others have tried it in the past. In Street Fighter 4, even, there was people, and I believe the early Street Fighter 5 was at Tiger Uppercut in Thailand, mm. tried it, and it, it failed horribly and, and just died on its ass. And yeah. But yeah, it, it requires consideration. They just had a bunch of laptops. What he's done is 
really thought it through from a yeah. from a player's perspective, which is important, not from a tournament organizer's perspective. If I'm a player sitting down, what what can I possibly mess up? Is the way he's looked at it, and that's the right yeah. approach. Yeah, he had basically had it. So yeah, the PC was you didn't touch it. It was these brook yeah. converters that you plugged <laughs> your stick into, basically. Um, because I know, I mean, this is going to sound mad to anyone who doesn't know a thing or two about fighting games or you know the technical side of getting them running. But the main wall between PC being the obvious choice and answer to all of our prayers and makes things a lot more easy is the fact that I mean, have you ever tried plugging in multiple USB? controllers into your pc most of them just go nah i'm not having that and all it takes is someone to show up with like a proper dodgy hitbox that they've made themselves and it just goes nah not having it and that's it whereas this this solution by basically having like a break wall uh made by the um the brook converters essentially sort of circumnavigated that for most things, I think I think there's still a couple of weird exceptions. I think you still couldn't plug two keyboards in. If two players decided right. to play on a classic PC keyboard, you would have a problem. But that's yeah. probably not going to happen. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's weird things that. But no, it's it's impressive. It would be nice to see it get that way. But at the same time, the more I hear about that, the the more I think this isn't yeah this isn't a grassroots thing. At that point, you're starting yeah. to gear gate a little bit, and that becomes a problem for. Yeah, because it's it's one thing that I've always kind of said is there's an amazing article. It's not really my article to write, and do you know what? I've said it so many times that I'm. By the way, every time I mention this article, it is hint hint. Like if you if you're listening, (laughs) is your article to write? Fucking do it. That like if you look at um, all of the other sort of competitive, the big competitive games, is their entry level is a PC bare minimum, like CS:GO. The entry level is a PC. I didn't have a PC, right? Like, I, I don't come from, like, a particularly <laughs> impoverished background or anything. I never wanted for nothing. You know, I might have had to share the SNES we got for Christmas with my brother. But, you know, we still got a SNES. Um, but I never had a PC growing up. I didn't have a PC till I moved out. So I didn't have a PC of my own until I was, like, 19, 18, 19. And then I, yeah, yeah, because it was like the second place. So yeah, I would have been like 1920 before I'd moved into the second place after I left my parents' house, had a full-time job and bought myself my own PC. And, you know, that's, but but whereas there was kids who were, you know, a lot more well-off with me at my school and shit like that, who had like fucking PCs of MMX chips and pod that came free with it and stuff like that. And, but that was just completely unreachable for me. So even Today, PCs aren't cheap, and especially not one that you're going to play games with. So if you look at you know, those sort of esports scenes, most of the people in them are like young, well-off white kids. Whereas if you, if you go to like any fighting game event, there's a much greater mix of people from various different backgrounds. And a lot of that stems from the fact that you know, if you go back to day one, the entry level was a quid. Like you know, like <laughs> show up at the arcade with fifty pence. That was your, that was your entry level. Now, obviously, that is a slightly romantic way of looking at things in twenty twenty two. But the point is, is like a second hand PS four. It's what like hundred quid, seventy quid these days. Like I've seen some going for like yeah, like yeah, as low as like seventy quid. And that there is in like, it's what like a tenth of what you'd pay to get like a decent gaming PC. Yeah, and. That it sounds silly, but like that does make a 
pretty you know make up a pretty hefty backbone of like the scene the fighting game scene is there is something about that sort of ability to anyone can get involved it's why the biggest tournament in the world could be won by someone who just shows up on the day i mean it won't be but it could be like we're selling the dream here (laughs) yeah and and you do you do see little you see little flares of it in most tournaments there'll be a holy crap taquitos and losers already what happened yeah 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 Who's this guy? And and sometimes it is that people call him a nobody, and a year later, that's not a nobody anymore. That's what kind of happened with Mena, right, from the Dominican Republic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Again, yeah. plays on a PS4, the controller that that came with the console. Mm. You know, he didn't need equipment. And I think there's a, a jumpers for goalposts kind of requirement in the fighting game community. Yes. At least that the cheapest possible way in should not stop you from being at the top. And we, we do see that. We do see people with the basic equipment still winning, and that's mm. really important. Yeah, that was kind of like, I mean, I was actually chatting with this about someone, chatting about this with someone earlier today, that, um, you know, there is that sort of chat at the minute, like if you play on the PC version of Street Fighter V and you've got like a super good monitor, it's possible to like, you know, lower the latency that most people have as low as low as possible. And I sort of see that and I go like, that is, I mean, it's nowhere near as obvious as a lot of other, um, you know, a, a lot of different esports games but it is still something where it's like well hang on a minute if you can afford the best monitor if you can afford an expensive pc if you can afford this that and the other then you are sort of slowly but surely paying your way for an advantage in the same way that people do in like first person shooters and unfortunately there is part of my brain which goes well maybe that is just the way things are going to go if things get more serious but i don't know that for me that sort of detracts somewhat from the spirit of being literally stood next to the person playing on the same screen, you know that, that. I think that that needs to be kept in mind when anyone's making these decisions. I think that they've always got to remember that that was the roots of this all. Yeah, it'll happen. We'll. I think we'll keep defending it and slowing progress <laughs> if that's what it is <laughs> for as long as possible. I can see it coming, I, especially when Riot are getting involved in in the scene now and mm. things like that. Right, we're going to see big changes that we have no control over whatsoever yeah. yeah we'll see how that comes out that's that seems to be something that's just in the distance forever at the minute doesn't it every time that every time it looks like this is when they're going to show it we're going to see something of it. it's just like no no we're still not ready i think they're... it's a lot i think it's a long long way off still yeah i think so uh th- which is uh yeah again like i say I, th- I think things will blow up at that point i think we'll see people with that Fortnite and League of Legends level of dedication hit mm. our scene, we'll go, oh, we'll destroy that lot when they come and they don't know what's going to hit them. <laughs> I think we're going to be in for a horrible surprise. I think that those kind of people who can play hundreds and hundreds of hours and just tank it all the time. Mm-hmm. And again, us fighting game people, mostly getting a little bit older. Some have kids, some <laughs> have jobs, all the rest of it. We yeah. can't keep up with that stuff for too long. You know, it's going to hit no. <laughs> There is a way around it, though. Just don't play it. Just pretend <laughs> it doesn't exist. That's it. Oh, that's not one of our games. Put them yeah, yeah, straight away get into that. Get into that from the word go. The second you realise you shit at it, just be like, nah, nah, it's not one of us. Not one of us. <laughs> just, just dismiss it completely. Unfortunately, it's being made by like two people who are like responsible for like Evo starting and stuff. And roll like, back so, and, and roll yeah. netcode. So it's like we we've got absolutely no way of not accepting this as like as something that has come from the FGC. So it's yeah. it's. 
yeah, it's going to be nightmares. My my only thing about it is like I I didn't I thought it was going to be like its own unique IP thing just made by Riot, and then yeah. when I found out it's probably going to be like League of Legends characters, I've never played it, so I just looked at the roster and like looked at the characters, and I was like, there's nothing in here that is aesthetically pleasing to me at all. <laughs> I was like, this looks horrendous. So yeah, maybe I just won't bother with it. Um, just quickly, um, one of the things that you did back in the day on your streams is you had a, was it Use Tuesday or whatever it is? Your Use Day. Oh, Use Day, yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And played uh, Yu Suzuki games. Um, doing that, is there anything that you really found out that was like kind of interesting by playing like, uh, you know, a, a developer, well, I guess yeah, I guess he's a developer, um, you know, playing his entire, well, however many you played, his entire like run of games. Because I did something similar with uh, Hideo Kojima, right? Mm. But his stuff, the, the line through it is a, is very clear. Like yes. You can see what he was doing at all times. And you can see where the evolutions of certain ideas went and where he decided to like, change from you know, certain things that he was doing in previous games. It's a lot clearer. Whereas Yu Suzuki, obviously, this is the guy who made Hang On, but also Shenmue. And obviously, like, like that's... They couldn't be two different games, like a so, game you can play in ninety seconds, or a game that you will spend the next three hundred hours. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, is there anything that you kind of found that was interesting throughout doing that? Yeah, so that that was twenty fourteen. That was on a YouTube channel that I've now shut down. Actually, um, if it was going to go well, I had other plans. I was going to go on to do. So, I, I played all of Yu Suzuki's games, every game, mm. every uh, game. The arc- the arcade ones, the console ones, I actually own a copy of every single console one in most versions. Um, nice. And and that went, I, I got a bit too meticulous with it, right down to just ones where he was a special thanks or a consultant <laughs> on. I, I went through the the catalogue. Uh, and I had to make a catalogue, actually, because a lot of websites had contradictions there. So you had to go right through, play the game, see it in the in the credits yourself and go, yeah, he is in this one. I knew he was. And, uh, yeah, so that was all. A big thing, but after that, I was going to do Yuji Naka. I was then going to do Shinzi Mikami. I like and then I was going to do Suda Fifty One because you could still call it Use Days. For that. Uh, yes, <laughs> smart move. So it was uh, like well, Yuji Naka. Sorry, I talked over you. Yuji oh Naka. no, no, uh, Yuji Naka, Shinji Mikami. Nice. So you know, Shadows of the Dam, but yeah, also yeah, Resident yeah. Evil Four. And yeah. Oh man, I played. I replayed Shadows of the Damned um, last year. When it, you know, when it got delisted last year. Oh right, um, yeah. I bought it digitally because I saw it was being delisted, and I'm a sucker. And I'd been, I'd been willing to go because I only played it when it first came out. Yeah. But I, uh, I was like, oh, do you know what? I have been thinking about a replay of that. Went back to it, and I, 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 mean, I know that that game was like a total mess of people, you know, <laughs> sticking their roar in. Basically, mainly EA sticking their roar in, but there's still so many cool ideas in that game. Like, I, I love it. I, I really, yeah, enjoy I really that like game, it. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. Suda Fifty One's good as well. I met, I've met, I've interviewed Suda Fifty One, and it's the best interview I've ever done. Like, oh, bet. Question. It, <laughs> it was, it wasn't used, right? So, I was at um, EGX Rest, and there was a very small Nintendo stand there, and they had Travis Strikes Back on it. Yes, I was there to do. Bizarrely, I think I was there to do something with Mortal Kombat. I know this is, I know EGX Rest is like for indie games, but yeah. I think. Um, that was ten, was it? It was yeah, there, something like yeah. that. They they had um they had a Mortal Kombat stand there. I might be getting two different events to mix together there, but I was there <laughs> for something else basically. But while I was there, I saw that um Suda Fifty One was doing like interview slots, so I just asked my editor. I was like, if I get an interview with Suda Fifty One, and <laughs> like 
anything interesting comes from it. Would you run it? And he was like, uh, your call? Like, you know, yeah, if, if you can do an interview with him and you get some cool stuff about, you know, the game, mm. so be it. So, um, so I um, went over, I mean, a friend of mine was kind of running the appointment. So I managed to get an interview with him and I was like, wicked, right. I'll come. It was right at the end as well. It was like, just come right at the end. We'll get you like half hour. Um, so I went over and I played Travis Strikes Back, um, Travis Strikes Again. And I didn't rate it at all. And like to be fair, I actually enjoyed it a lot more on release. But the the, the demo level they had was rubbish. Right. It was um, it was like an EGX specific level, and I think they toured it to all these different events around the world, mm-hmm. and like just changed a bit of like advertising like oh, words on yeah, it. Yeah. So it was like the show floor and stuff like that. But it was you could tell it was like bit half-assed right <laughs> just a bit of a gimmick and the game really didn't do much for me so i was like fuck am i going to talk to him about <laughs> because i knew straight away like i really don't want to talk about this game yeah and i'd be honest i'd already kind of got to the point where i was like this interview's probably not going to get used but i really want to go speak to suda 51 absolutely yeah, yeah so yeah so i just went in there anyway and just i'm sat there and I'm, it's me suda and the pr person the pr person is basically waiting for me to start asking questions about Travis strikes again, and I was just straight away. I was just like, right. So in um, Super Fire Pro <laughs> Premium X, and I just started talking to him about Japanese pro wrestling. And I remember when the interview went well. Was he tested me? He went. He basically through the translator said, um, uh, he goes, Tiger Mask used to fight an English guy all the time, um, and he sort of went, uh, can you can you tell me who that was? And I was <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's Dynamite Kid. And when he did that, he went, ah. Ah, right <laughs> and from that point onwards he completely opened up about like wrestling stuff and me and him were just chatting about fucking pro wrestling for 20 minutes until like the pr person was like you need to leave like, <laughs> like and it was it was never i actually posted it on my patreon but yeah it's just like 15 minutes of me and suda 51 talking about fucking pro wrestling um, i like i have to check that out yeah it was well it was well fun but like completely just i just went into business for myself <laughs> Once I got in the room, I was like, "I know that I know I'm not going to use this. Like, yeah. I'm not even going to tell my editor I did it. But um, I've just got a chance to speak to someone that I think is amazing, so I'm gonna uh, gonna give it a go." Oh, fair dues. But no, I do recommend it though. Like, try to follow. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be all of their stuff, but try to get a good slice through a different producer's game catalog. Mm. Uh, and I, you learn a lot about them. You learn a lot about kind of the way that games work in general i would say as well mm. with yu suzuki in particular it is a story of pursuing that uh that sort of simulacra how, how do we make things as real as possible even in the early games like you can say hang on's extremely different from shemu but what he was trying to do in both of them was give you a real life experience if you've yeah, ever seen yeah, any interviews sure. with him he says real life's more interesting than games and what i'm trying to do is bring real life to gamers as kind of his thing <laughs> uh so, you know, Hang On was about getting the, what was called the Taycan movement, getting the big arcade machines that had a motorbike on it and you sat on it. That was yeah, him, yeah. right? He did that stuff. Uh, and Chem used the same idea there. It is, it's let's try and get this stuff as, as real as possible. And he's pursued that through all of those games in different ways. And you can see where he's pushing things and trying things and taking inspiration from different places. So you, you learn... A, a different you learn about the person i would say more than just going oh this person makes good games or this person makes scary games or whatever you, you yeah. learn that kind of this is what they're trying to do uh, and i think it's difficult to look, know a producer like that by just playing your favorite ones and stuff you know yeah yeah it's, it's, it's really good that you said that because um 
Shinji Mikami, um, I remember that interview that um, he did with the, I think it was the Guardian. Right. Yeah, it was the Guardian, or maybe it was the Telegraph. It was one of those two. It was in the gaming bit where they were asking him about, um, you know, how he sort of sees games. They was, you know, trying to get a little bit more beyond just talking about the evil within, which I think they were promoting at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, he started talking about. Um, he sees survival horror in everything that he plays and he's always looking for those elements because they're what makes him interested. That's why he's always gone back to that well. And they asked him, like, well, what do you mean? And he went, and he actually used Colin McRae Rally as his example. He was just like, the terrain, you know, the environment is against you. You don't know what's around the next corner. There are limited resources, be that time, fuel, you know, like... You know, at the end of each section, you can. There's a, min- a certain amount of repairing that you can do, but it's not full healing and stuff like that. And he was just like, and those are just you know ideas. But he was like, when I see that racing game, I don't look at it and go, oh, it's a rally simulator. I go like, what, what, where can I find the survival horror in this? And I was I'd like, love to see him take that further and make a survival horror racing game. <laughs> I'd be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be the business. Um, yeah, I would definitely play that. I was, say, I was, I was dead. My brain was desperately going for a pun there, and the best I got was Top Gear Resi, and then I realised that nah, it's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, right. We'll wrap it up there. Um, thanks for coming on and chatting about stuff. I think that I think we actually did pretty well to not just talk about Shenmue the entire time. So I think that was pretty pretty good of us. I've, I've restrained myself there, but thank you very much for, uh, yeah, let me talk yeah, about other things. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> if you want to just let the people who are listening um, know where they can find you, if you want them to find you, and if you've got anything to promote, now is the time. Oh, uh, absolutely. I, it's going to be mostly fighting games, unfortunately. So, on the fighting game side, uh, check out the, the YouTube channel, That Blasted Salami. I make the Virtual Fighter content over there. Uh, a fantastic site for just if you want to learn any, anything. They're, they're really good at mm. an entry level uh, to pick stuff up. If you want to learn things at a, a nerdier level, I've got my own stuff, Wireman FGC. If you find that stuff, I talk about really, really boring, intricate parts of Virtual Fighter and stuff like that. <laughs> um, uh, and then, yeah, I've done some stuff recently on uh, a, a YouTube channel called Archives at Midnight. Uh, and again, that's more about looking into the interesting sort of side of design and things like that. I've talked about some of the tech and character designers and the, the virtual fighter character designers over there and, and what inspired them. Again, don't mention frame data or anything in those ones whatsoever. That's just about martial arts and design and, and that kind of interesting side of it. So yeah, all of those things. Nice one. Um, and yeah, the final question that I ask everyone, you need to pick a piece of video game music that's going to play us out. Oh, oh. And I like putting people on the... No, you're not supposed to be prepared. (laughs) That's the best thing about it. Okay, okay. I think because of what we've talked about today, do you want to try the credits music for OutRun 1? Where you're... Sorry, the the input your... um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one. The very chill. Input three digits. You know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the soft jazz keys, please, from OutRun. That would be cracking.